I want you to turn to First Kings chapter seventeen. We've um, begun the biography of a great man by the name of Elijah. Last Sunday evening, we kind of set some historical uh, set the historical setting because you can't separate the greatness of the person from the time and the place where he lived because the character of a man is hammered out on the hammer and the anvil of the, of the context of his life. It was kind of heavy last week, kind of drugged, just to be honest with you. We got in a little history lesson. Well, the heavy stuff is over because we laid the groundwork that helps us to take a look at this great man called Elijah. And we come to a boot camp in his life. Uh, I've never been in the army, but I'm told that boot camp is no fun in games. It's no fun in frolic. It's a place where young men go so that they can be changed from one person to another. Where soft civilianism is changed to the military mind and, and, and body. So that the uh, civilian mindset, with all of its freedom, is transformed so that a person becomes a kind of a uh, uh, battleground-wise person who is able to defend his country in battle. He, he, we, a boot camp revolutionizes a person. And there are some built-in ingredients to make that person strong and different and unique. God has designed boot camp for, uh, for His children, for His people. Now, boot camp for God's people takes place not, uh, you know, at a certain time of the year or at a certain uh, once ever so often, but it takes place periodically as this Christian, as this believer walks through life. Some of you are in boot camp today. And God just takes away some of the comforts that you've enjoyed. And He withholds some of the blessings that you've always experienced and He brings to your life some disciplines that are hard and difficult to accept. And He removes some rights that you've always enjoyed. When you go to boot camp, they shave your head and they take away your rights. And that's what the Lord does. He just shaves off those things in our life that have hindered our walk with Him. And He takes away our freedoms and our comforts. And He brings us into boot camp to change us. Oliver Cromwell was the... Lord Protector of England, of Great Britain in the 17th century. There's a story about him that he checked with the treasury and they were running short on silver. So he sent his men out to investigate, see if they could find some silver in the land. They came back and said, the only silver we can find are in the statues in the temple, in the, in the, in the cathedrals. Cromwell said with a glimmer in his eye, well, good, we'll just melt down the saints and put them into circulation. God's purpose for us is not to hang around the church and gather dust. He wants us in circulation. God's purpose for His people is not just to kind of take a place in the corner of the church and look good and gather dust. He wants us in circulation, so He melts us down. And the way He melts us down is to put us in the boot camp. And Elijah is no exception. The 17th chapter of 1 Kings begins just with these simple words, Elijah the Tishbite. But if you'll look down to verse 24, it ends with a different statement about it. And it says, The woman said to, the, to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And between verse 1, that describes Elijah as just the man from Tishbe, 
It's a verse 24 that describes him as the man of God in there somewhere is boot camp. Because boot camp changes you from just a citizen of Durant till they recognize you as the man or the woman of God. Now, I want us to look at some experiences here, beginning in chapter 17, verse 1. I want us to look first at the pronouncement of the drought. And I want to say two things about that. I want to say something about its origin, and then secondly, about its extent. First of all, its origin, the source of it. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The origin of it is the Lord, God of Israel, before whom I stand. Now I want you to get this picture. It's this heavy. Here stands Elijah before Ahab, who is king of of Israel. And his wife is Jezebel, who is putting prophets to death, killing them like flies. And Elijah stands before the king, but he says, The Lord God of Israel, before whom I stand, as though Ahab weren't even there. Wherever you are in this life, there is a throne that is higher than earthly thrones. And for every command that comes to you, there is a higher command. And for every word that is there, there's a higher word. It is the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. He has the final word. He has the dictate. He is the sovereign. Now look at the excess of this drought. Except that there shall surely be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now it's not too hard to, um, to endure a drought for a few months. If you've ever lived in West Texas, you're going to have a little of that, probably in Oklahoma. But to have a drought for years. Uh, A boot camp is not so difficult if it lasts a couple of weeks in the summertime, but when it comes for years, when it just lingers on and on, when it seems like God just has abandoned us to the universe and it just goes on year after year. Sometimes boot camp, sometimes the drought lasts for years. Now, in boot camp, we move from the limelight to the shadows. Look at the command of God, verses 2 through 4. I want to say two things about that. Verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here, and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Go hide yourself. He tells us what to do. This is what his first instruction is. Go and hide yourself. Now I can just hear the protest begin to well up in Elijah's mind. Listen, I'm a prophet, and I'm called to preach. One of the most difficult commands of God is to get away and be alone. Go hide yourself. Um, And sometimes God just comes to us and just snatches us from the movement and the involvement and the activity. Because there can be no effective life for God apart from a period where a man just hides himself with God. Do you know anything about the hidden life? 
Has there ever come to you that command of God, I just want you to get away for a while and I want you to hide yourself in me? I don't believe that there can be an effective day unless that day has has begun with the time where a man just gets alone with God and hides himself with Him. Uh, Some of you watched Charles Stanley. It was mentioned this morning, just a little while ago, about Charles Stanley. Some of you... uh, Watch him on television. He's probably one of the most popular uh, pastors, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a kid in my church in the seminary who was um, a member of his church. In fact, he was kind of a training under him as a kind of a, a, a disciple under Charles Stanley when Dr. Stanley became pastor of First Church uh, Atlanta. And it wasn't, it wasn't accepted too well by about half of the church membership. He was associate pastor and became pastor of the church because during the interim he was preaching and everybody liked him so that this kind of became this popular movement for Dr. Stanley to be the pastor. But a great number of those people didn't like it. In fact, 80 uh, leadership, 80 people of the leadership of that church left one Sunday morning in the middle of service and went over and joined another church. And one Sunday morning Dr. Stanley got up to preach his, te- for his sermon and, and this kid was there and saw this happen. It was on television. He said, a guy stepped up just as he was reading his text, stepped up in a pulpit with him and said, when you became the pastor of this church, it was the worst thing that ever happened to this church. And turned around and slugged him right in, the, right in the mouth, right there in the pulpit on Sunday morning on television. Um, Dr. Stanley, as you can imagine, um, had a few um, problems with that. You know what he did? He took a leave of absence, and for three months he went out on the coast and he got a little uh, resort, a little uh, uh, house, cabin, out on the east coast, and he just spent three months alone in prayer. And when he came out of that um, hiding with God, he has never been the same. Uh, In every boot camp experience, God just snatches us away and says, I want you to get alone with me. Spend some time. You ever know anything about the hidden life? Second thing about the command, he says he tells us how we're going to survive there. Look at verse three. Go away from here to turn eastward, etc. Hide yourself by the brook. Verse four. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook. And watch this. And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Underline it for you there. Now there's a tremendous promise there because God said, I'm gonna, I've got a catering service for you. I'm going to let the ravens come every day and they're going to feed you. God's going to provide. I'm going to provide for you. But it's, I'm going to provide for you there. Where? In the will of God. There's where His provision is. Let me tell you something, folks. You can't claim the promise that God's going to provide for you unless you're in the will of God. That's where He's going to provide for you there. There That is, in the place where God wants you to be. And there are a lot of people who are wondering why God is not providing for them. They're not in the will of God. He's going to provide for you there. That is, where God wants you to be in His will. There are many thrilling stories that come from the mission field. One of them is, I heard recently about a a woman, a missionary, one of our uh, women over in, in, over in India who was a missionary, and she, was, she became seriously ill, and she was having some problem with allergies, and she couldn't find any food that she could eat. And she was literally starving to death, and they put her in a hospital in India. 
And she said, my only room was just, just a, my, my, my hospital room was just a room with a bed and had a little a window up near the top of the, of the walls, open air, open window. And she said, I was in this hospital bed and I was praying that God would somehow help and take care and provide. And I was dying. I knew it. One day she said, a bird came to the window to the to the windowsill, this little opening up at the top, a blackbird, a crow. And she said the blackbird had a parcel in his mouth. Now, parcel in India is where they took newspaper, they took food and wrapped it up in newspaper, and that's where they carried around what we call brown bagging. Had a parcel in his mouth. He said he stood there on the window ledge for a while and dropped that parcel in my room. And she said, I went over and unwrapped the parcel and it was food inside and I ate it. And I could, I could eat it. I was nourished by it. And I knew in that moment that I was going to be well. Now every backpacker's dream is this right here. Man, give me a back, you know, give me a pack and give me some brook over by Cherith. And he heads off up there, away from everybody. And he has this private catering service. These ravens come and feed him there. And God provides. Look at the obedience of Elijah, verses 6, 5, 6, and 7. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. He lived by the brook. Now it's one thing to visit the brook as a backpacker. It's another thing to live by it for years, for an indefinite period of time. There's not a Christian here tonight, I'm afraid, who would be willing to do this. To go out by the brook, to live alone with God, indefinitely there. To live there. Now, the word is, I'm going to settle down there and I'm going to be content there until God moves me by the brook. Now, look at verses 6 and 7. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. Ah, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And the brook dried up. Um, sound like anything, any experience you know about? There has been such joy in your life. There's just no joy anymore. The joy is dried up. Maybe you've just gone, you know, and you've just, God has just given you uh, messages out of His Word, and every morning you, you've just been there, God has spoken to you, and the last months it seems like heaven is brass. God says nothing. God's Word is dried up. There's a famine of it in the land. Or maybe you've had friends, and all your friends have moved away, and there's no association anymore, and the fellowship is dried up. And maybe something has happened to your marriage and all the frill of it is gone and the marriage joys have dried up. Sound like anybody you know? It happens every week that I talk to somebody who is distressed about this desert through which they pass. Let me tell you, when the brook dries up, God is still alive and well. Now, there's some lessons to learn tonight from this text. I want, to, I want you to wake up and get these, all right? There's some lessons for Elijah, and there's some lessons for us. I want to first give you, that's A in the, in the outline, I want to give you the lessons for Elijah. There are two of them. Number one, 
The God who gave the waters, the God who gave the waters, it is His choice to take the water away. That's His sovereign right. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now sometimes I think that that, that once that we feel that once the Lord gives, we think He has no right to take it away. He has the sovereign right to take it away. And Job surveyed the loss of everything. And this was his cry of faith. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If the Lord gives it, He has a right to take it away. If He's given you health, He has a right to take it. If He's given you a child, He has a right to take that child. If He's given you joy, He has a right to take that from you. He who gives the waters has the right to take them away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Second, lesson for Elijah. The dried up brook was the direct result of his own prayer. Do you notice that? James 5 says that the prayer of Elijah caused the brook to dry, caused the rain not to come. It was the direct result of his prayer. Be careful what you pray. You might get an answer. Be careful when you ask God to make you a holy man. He might do it. And the way He might do it might be painful. Be careful before you pray, God, use me, because God just might take you at your word and He might answer that prayer. And the way He might prepare to use you might be painful. Be careful how you pray, because oftentimes God will give you just what you pray. Don't you ask, God, make me patient. Because you know how He makes people patient? Tribulation works patience. Sometime I'll be praying, I'll think, uh-oh, boy, I slipped there. Lord, wait a minute, now let me, uh, let me, let me condition that. His prayer was... The dried up brook was a direct result of his prayer. There are four lessons for us to learn. Get these and we're through. Number one is this. We must be as willing, we must be as willing to be set aside as we are to be used. But be impressed that there is as much withdrawal in the life of Jesus to, to, to receive from God as there is to give out from God to others. You must be as willing to be set aside as you are to be used. Sometimes the most effective thing God ever does in our life is to set us aside. Charles... Alan, that great Methodist preacher, said one morning he was shaving, all of a sudden it hit him, this terrible pain in his back. And he said, I went to the floor and couldn't get up. And they came after me in an ambulance, took me to the hospital. He said, I was lying in a hospital worried about all the things that I need to be doing. He said, well, my friends came in. I started complaining about all the things I need to be doing. And my friend said to me, He maketh me to lie down. And sometimes the greatest thing God ever does for us is cause us to lie down. 
Number two, God's direction includes God's provision. That's what I was trying to say this morning. God's direction includes God's provision. Now when He told him to go there, at the same time He made provision for him. There's some of you wondering where God is leading you. Wherever He's leading you, He's providing you for that. And some of you feel that perhaps God is calling you into a special ministry. Someone came by this week, uh, uh, an adult businessman, a middle-aged businessman who told me he feels God leading him into some full-time Christian vocational service. And he's praying about it and wanted me to pray with him about it. One of our church members. And just to think about that man with his, with his family and, and, and the business he has, if he does that, he'll have to, he'll have to give up that business and, and enter into something totally brand new, perhaps training at the seminary, etc., etc. It's awesome. It's staggering. And at the same time, we know that if God leads us to do it, at the same time, He provides. It never fails. Number three. You have to learn to trust God one day at a time. And you say, listen, oh, preacher, give me something new. I've heard that all my life. I've been hearing that forever. Every preacher says that. Listen, if you still live, if you've heard that all of your life a thousand times, and you still live, don't live like that. You had not heard it enough. And it's interesting that Elijah just got the message from God and he did it. And God didn't give him a second word until he was obedient to the first word. Never does. God's not going to give you a second word until you're obedient to the one you know, the first word. You just start doing what you know God wants you to do right now. That'll keep you busy for a lifetime. Number four. Ah, this is important. A dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure and not God's disappointment in your life. Can I say it again? A dried up brook is oftentimes a sign of God's pleasure and not disappointment. I think the first thing we want to do when, uh, when we get, you know, in those periods of time where we're just kind of in a desert and, and we're in dryness, there are no answers to prayer. There's no special blessing from God, etc. We have a tendency to think, what am I doing wrong? You know, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why can't I experience the warmth of God's love and presence? It just might be that the dried up brook is God's delight in you. It might be the greatest evidence that God is doing something in your life, just like He was in Elijah's. I think sometimes God just brings us into the desert so that we can learn how to love Him in a different way. So we can be prepared to do those unique things that are out beyond boot camp in the battle that's yet to come. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for the message of this Word and for the message of boot camp where You take us aside and You teach us how to live for You and how to love You. God, give us a hunger for the hidden life. May we learn a lesson tonight from the dryness, the barrenness, the emptiness of our own experiences. Learn how to depend on You. Look to You to be fed.
to be cared for, to be helped. Lord, I thank you for this word. Bless it to our heart. May it be an, make an impact on us to change us. Because I ask in Christ's name. Now we have three invitations. We'd like to offer these are invitations simultaneously offered. The first is to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I, I really mean this. I mean, I'm going to ask you to get up and begin to follow Jesus. Come and surrender your heart and life to Him. Accept His gift of salvation, forgiveness of sin. Go away a different person. Second invitation tonight is for you to come and, and rededicate yourself to God. To confess, to admit that, that, you've, not, that you've left Him aside, put Him aside in the hustle and bustle of your life. And you want to get back to the brook to the Cherith. Or maybe you need to come and join the church, place your life here. It's more than joining a church, really. It's, it's putting your life in a fellowship, becoming a part of a group that's studying God's Word to be effective in God's world. We'll not wait very long for you to come because if God has already impressed you to come, you'll come, I feel. And so we're going to stand and sing, and we want you to come right on. The first word.